Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Man, uh, as we were singing, my anchor holds within the veil. Man, what a beautiful picture. I don't know if you ever read that in Hebrews, but man, I just thought about the storms of life and the struggles and the trials like jerking at you, and they're, they're just like, bam, the anchor, you know, it holds, and, and you're held tight. Man, that, what a, just what a beautiful picture uh, this morning. Exodus chapter 32, uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. I, I know there would maybe be other ways to do that, but uh, I, I really feel like there's some benefit in just us reading the whole chapter, you getting kind of the whole narrative, and then we'll jump into it, okay? So I'm going to I'm going to read that, and then we're going to pray, and we'll get started. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast day to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken bringing Upon his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back. They were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God. Engraved on the tablets, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as they came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them on the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel to drink it. 
Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So I said to them, let me have the gold and take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. When the Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each one of you, and go up to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion, his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of the Lord of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Each one of the each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might be a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Father in heaven, please keep us from idolatry. Father, I pray that you would expose in our hearts anything that has taken the place of you in our affections, in our security, in our hope. Father, I pray that you would give us such a love for you, Father, that we would be more interested in you than anything else, that we would be more devoted to you than anything else, that we would be more zealous for your name than for our own name or the name of our children, the name of our family. Father, we ask, God, that you would keep us from idolatry. We ask that you would bring an awakening. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your intercession in us, for us. Lord, teach us to intercede as Moses did. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So to give you a little bit of a background, in Exodus 24, God calls Moses onto the mountain, and pretty much everything that's written in chapter 25 and 26 27, 28, 29, 30, 31 is God's instruction to Moses on the mountain. God is giving Moses the law. He's giving him instruction about the people of Israel, okay? But while Moses is on the mountain, and by the way, I cannot put my head around what that was like, you know, 40 days and 40 nights, you know, in the presence of God, receiving instruction from God. But while he is there, uh, the people grow restless. They, they have a very low perseverance, okay, quotient, all right? They, they don't persevere. And when things aren't happening on their timetable, like they kind of have in their mind, okay, this is what God's going to do. This is how he's going to do it. This, this, is, this is how it's going to roll out. And, and when that doesn't happen, and, and when, 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 when Moses isn't visible, 
And when they're having to wait on the promised land, then, then they get restless and want another God, a different God, or at least for their God to be different. 2 Peter 3, 4 says, some people act like when God delays on a promise that it's not gonna come true, which is absolutely not right. If you remember the Old Testament story of Saul, uh, Saul is waiting on the prophet Samuel to come to offer sacrifice before they go into battle, and he gets restless, like, that, like Samuel's not on his time schedule. And, and, and so he's like, well, you know, it's not happening like I think it should happen, so I gotta take matters into my own hands. That's exactly what the Israelites did, Okay. Yeah, God wasn't acting like they thought he should act. Moses wasn't visible. The prophet wasn't giving instruction. They weren't moving forward. And so you know what they did? They were like, you know what? We'll just make our God different. Uh, a lot of people believe that, that the first commandment is being broken here. I, I think absolutely it is. But I, I would say more specifically, the second commandment of the Ten Commandments is being broken here, right? Israel is basically saying, hey, let, let's, let's make the God who brought us out of Egypt, okay, we know that's the real God, but they're like, hey, let's make him different. Let's make him visible. Let, let, let's make him like we want him to be. I, I believe it's, again, I've told you this before, I believe it's one of the most commonly broken commandments in America. People are like, you know what? I know God says this in his word, but I don't really like that. So my God's gonna be different. You know, I'm gonna make God different. I, I, I'm gonna change this. That's not true. I want something else to be true. My God acts this way. My God only cares about this stuff. My God doesn't care if I do this. Man, you're, you're making a golden calf. That's what you're doing. You're, you're just fashioning your own God to your own liking. Folks, that is idolatry. It seems that maybe there is even some form of immorality that was taking place. Uh, there's this kind of ominous phrase that's repeated in 1 Corinthians 10 that seems to have some sort of connotation of idolatry. It says in verse 6, they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I don't, I don't know what it means. We know there's dancing and singing. But anyway, the, the, there, was, there was idolatry going on. And Moses doesn't know it, right? Like he's in the presence of God, 40 days, four nights on the mountain. He's receiving the word of God and God interrupts his process. And notice what God says in verse seven. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Okay, Emma pulls this on me all the time. Uh, I can't tell you how many times she has said, do you know what your son did, okay? Whenever she says, you know what your son did, you know? Like if he, if he does something great, she says, my son, you know? But if he does something bad, she, you know what your son did, okay? You know what, you know what she's saying? He's acting like you, not like me. And, and, and to some degree, God is saying the same thing here, right? They, these are his people. They're not acting like my people. They don't have the characteristics of my name. And they're acting like you, Moses. These are your people, I think what he's also saying is there's absolutely a separation that has been made, right? He's like, man, these, these, aren't, these aren't acting like my people. There's sin, idolatry separates us from the fellowship of God. Verse 8, he says, they have turned aside quickly. I think the word quickly there is important. Like really, 40 days, things don't go your way 40 days, you're already changing your God. You're already saying, well, you know, I, I want it this way, so I'm just going to make it this way. Now, I'm going I'm to keep worshiping Jesus, and I'm going to keep going to church, I'm going to keep reading the Bible, but, but, but actually I'm disregarding some of this because I want it a different way. Notice what he says in verse 9. 
In verse 9, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. If you've read your Old Testament, that that phrase stiff-necked occurs all the time. It's a common phrase in the Old Testament. It basically, it means just what it sounds like. You're an unyielding, stubborn people. I remember uh, with one of my daughters, I remember a specific time where, where she was in rebellion, right? And she was, she was pretty little at this time. She, she was in rebellion against our authority and against what we had told her to do. And she did not want to yield. We were trying to correct her. And I remember she wouldn't even look at me. She's just like staring off like this. And I'm talking to her and I'm telling her what must happen and what's my, and, and, and I was like, look at me. And she won't even look at me. And I grab her little face. And I remember this very distinctly. I'm, I'm like pulling her face to me. She, her whole body turned. Like, she just pivoted in the chair. Like, like, her neck was so stiff that her whole body just turned. Like, like, she was like, I am not, I am not yielding in any way. Moses, or God says, Moses, that's what this people is. They won't yield to my commands. They won't yield to my instruction. They won't believe me. They won't believe that I am their God that I am what will satisfy their soul, that I am what will bring them joy, that I am what will bring them life. They won't believe that. They got their face set on something else. It's almost like, like, it's almost like when, when, when you got somebody looking at the wrong thing and you're trying to turn them away and they, they won't stop looking at the wrong thing. That, that's idolatry. Man, I felt that way this week. Um, I, was, I was pleading with a man to hear the gospel and he just would not hear it. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't encourage this method to anybody. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this is right. But, but I put money on the table. And I said, if you'll just give me two minutes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you. You know, I'll, I'll pay you to listen to me. Just listen, two minutes. You know, stop, stop going this way. Now, at this point in the narrative, I can't prove this to you. But at this point in the narrative, I, I believe that Moses begins to pray, okay? Now, now, maybe he's praying in his heart. Maybe he's beginning to intercede. God sees his heart. We, we don't have anything written here, okay? But I believe that Moses begins to intercede for his people because in verse 10, the next thing that happens is God says, now, therefore, let me alone. Let me alone. Now, it could have been that Moses had been interceding for the people all along. It could have been as he's on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Maybe that wasn't all instruction. Maybe, maybe, there, maybe had Moses was kind of in a continual state of pleading for the people of Israel. I don't know. But, but I know that, that God tells him in verse 10, let me alone that I might consume them. Essentially, God says, Moses, stop praying. Don't pray for these people so that I can wipe them off the face of the earth. All right, at this point, I'm expecting some hands to go up. What? What? Okay, now, please understand, okay? Please understand that our God is an incarnating God, okay? So, so if you're struggling with God saying, basically, Moses, stop praying, and God saying, you know, somehow that he's bound, if Moses begins to pray, that he'll, he'll, not, he'll not consume these people. Okay, I want you to remember that at times, God incarnates in order to communicate, Okay? God incarnates, meaning he, he puts on human flesh, uh, both literally with Jesus and, and communication-wise, okay? That's really the story of the Bible, isn't it? The story of the Bible is that God, the eternal God who is spirit, puts on human flesh. He becomes a man. He eats fish and bread and PBJ and, and, and gets colds and, and, and fishes and 
fixes breakfast, right? God puts on human flesh in order to do what? In order to reveal the eternal God to you. In order to pay the penalty for your sin. In order to atone for your iniquity. God God has done that. God becomes man. And, And so I believe there are also times where God communicates with us in an incarnational way. Okay, I'll just I'll just tell you what I think about this. I think actually God is stirring Moses to intercede. Okay, I mean I I want you to think about the implications of leave me alone that I might destroy this people. What is the implications of that? If you don't leave me alone, right? Like like what's what's the other side of that? If you keep praying, if you intercede, I will respond to that. And it's one of the great mysteries of the universe that God has wired this whole world to run on prayer. Isn't that amazing? God didn't have to do that. God, God was not bound to do that, but God has, has done that. Like, like he has wired things so that he responds to the prayers of his people. But I think there's something even bigger going on. I believe that God is displaying his own character in Moses. I believe that God is displaying the character of Christ in Moses, in his servant Moses. Later on in Deuteronomy, Moses would say this before his death. He would say, God is gonna raise up a prophet like me. He's talking about Jesus. And so we know that Jesus would have some of these characteristics of Moses. In other words, God is showing Jesus. He's revealing Jesus. Thousands of years before Jesus would be born, he's revealing Jesus through Moses. And I think part of that is this intercession, okay? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But before we get there, we need to lay a couple foundational rules here, okay? Number one, idolatry merits the wrath of God. I just do not think we could hear that enough, my friends. Idolatry merits the wrath of God. God is rightfully angry at sin and idolatry. God is righteous and just to pour out his wrath on an idolatrous people, for God to wipe Israel off the map, for him to consume them, for him to wipe out America because of idolatry is a just and righteous thing. God will bring down his wrath on idolatry. God is creator. You you are only breathing. You are only here. You only exist because God is created you. God has delivered Israel. He has has brought them out of Egypt. He has brought them out through plagues and through the Red Sea. And now they're dancing around a golden calf that they brought into existence and said, you know what? We don't like our God. He's not good enough. We're going to make a different one. We like this one a lot better. That merits the wrath of God. They are believing that the God that they have made is better than the God that is. Please understand, whenever you are simply not interested in God, you're a lot interested more interested in something else. You're, you, you're a lot drunk. You know, God is way down here on your list. You're like, man, this, this is the most important thing in life. I'm gonna give my life to this. I'm gonna run hard after this. And, and then after that comes this. And then after that comes this. And after that comes this. And after that, God is right down here. But I, God, I, I sure want you to be a part of all this. That's idolatry. You've made your own calf. When you're not interested in God, when you won't look at him, but everything else captures your attention, that is idolatry. One of the most common metaphors or illustrations of idolatry in the Old Testament is adultery, okay? 
God intends for you to feel that, okay? See, we, we feel this. We, we understand the, the reality of being in a marriage and someone belongs. Yeah, I belong to Emma and she belongs to me. And, and when you turn away from that and, and you, you, you relationally, intimately join yourself to somebody else, it is shocking and disturbing and ugly and destroying. And God says, that is the image. That is the picture of idolatry. When you must have something else, and your neck's like concrete, and you're entrenched in being all about something else, you're an idolater. And idolatry merits the wrath of God. If you'll, we'll, we'll get to this at the end, but you'll, you'll notice as we read the chapter 3,000 of these who persisted in idolatry, probably the leaders were, were, were killed by their own brothers and fathers and sons. A plague in verse 35 comes upon the people. Idolatry brings the wrath of God. Okay, that's point number one. Number two, there must be an intercessor who appeals to God on our behalf, all right? God says, I'm gonna consume Israel and make a great nation of you, Moses. You see that in verse 10? This actually is working well for Moses, okay? From a human standpoint. Like God says, I'm, I'm gonna wipe out all of Israel and I'm gonna start over with you, Moses. I'll just make a great nation through you. And you know what Moses says to that? Mo Moses won't allow God's people to perish. Here's where we see the beauty of the character of Jesus Christ when he intercedes. Moses is praying to his own detriment. God is offering Moses glory apart from Israel, but Moses won't do it. He loves God's people and, and God's glory in his people. My friends, this is only the character of Jesus. Man, this is the character of the apostle Paul, by the way. You know, I, was, I was thinking about Romans 9, where Paul says in verse 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Can you imagine that? Paul says, man, if I could somehow save Israel by, by being destroyed myself, I'd do it. And I, I cannot explain that other than that's the character of Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus does. That's the character of Christ. Listen to Moses in verses 30 through 32. Chapter 32 of Exodus. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now if you will forgive their sin. But listen, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. The character of Jesus, he's the ruling, reigning, fully pleasing son of God who will inherit all the universe. And you know what Jesus has said with his life and his death? He said, I won't reign without my people. He says, I will connect my people to me. I will join them to myself. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not obeying the commandments. Salvation is turning from your sin and embracing the resurrected Jesus Christ and by faith being joined to him so that his intercession carries you to inherit all things with Christ, forever connected to Jesus. Later, we would see God would create the ministry of the high priest who would come in to the holy of holies and plead the blood of the lamb upon the mercy seat and would offer a sacrifice in place for the people 
But listen, Jesus offered himself. He offered himself as a sacrifice, and then he was raised from the dead. And then Hebrews 7, 24 says, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He's gonna live forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who would draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ at the throne of God continually making intercession for his people, connected to his people. He's the thing that brings us into the land, into the promised land, into righteousness, into the glories of heaven. Jesus intercedes. Jesus joins us to himself. Jesus won't go into eternity without his people. He won't leave us. He pleads his own atoning blood to the Father, and through his resurrection, he joins us to himself. Now, that in no way means that Jesus is soft on sin. I, I think a beautiful picture of this, verse 19 Verse 19 says, as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. Man, he is furious over sin. Aaron's not. Do you notice what Aaron does? Aaron does what everybody does who's trying to excuse their behavior. Well, I, I, you know, I took the gold, you know, Moses, and I threw it in the fire and out popped this calf, you know. What can I do? You know, I didn't, man, I didn't mean for it to go down like that. I was just getting rid of the gold, you know. Like we, we retell our stories, don't we? Making excuses for why Jesus is not glorified in our life. Not Moses, man, he's furious. He didn't minimize sin. He didn't justify sin. He didn't hide sin. He is furious with sin. But please notice, even though Moses is furious with sin and unbelie- the unbelief and idolatry of the people, he intercedes for them. Man, I, I, I want us to be this, guys. I want us to be the kind of people that can be furious with sin and yet at the same time interceding for people. To be angry with sin and interceding for mercy at the same time. Moses comes down from the mountain. He breaks the tablets. I don't know about you guys, but hearing this story as a kid, I thought Moses was just mad, you know? Uh, anybody else think that? Like, I, I, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I guess I can't prove that he was. You know, he was furious, obviously. But I thought that's why he broke the tablets. You know, it's just one of those deals where like, you know, he's like, ah, you know, you guys, you know. I actually think, you know, having reread this, I, I, I think he's saying you've broken the law. You've shattered the whole law. Your idolatry makes you a lawbreaker. He breaks the tablets. He takes the calf. He, he burns it. And then he grinds it into dust, and then he puts it in the creek and makes him drink it. What's that about? Man, I think, I think what that's about is that idolatry always brings misery. I don't think this kind of parenting is very acceptable anymore. DHS kind of frowns against this, but some of you would tell stories about your parents or your grandparents who, you know, they caught you smoking or something. And so what'd they do? They were, you're going to smoke the whole pack. You know, you're going you're gonna to smoke until you puke this, you know, or dipping. And man, you're going to no, go ahead. You know, you're going to puke and you're going to do it again. You know, I, I think there's a similar thing at work here. I'm not advocating that parenting, by the way. But I think there's a similar thing at work going on here where Moses is like, you want to see what idolatry does? You want to taste the bitterness of that, the misery of that, the plague that's coming upon you? Great picture here, how to deal with the sin in your life. Romans 8.13 tells us to put to death your sin. And you got to kill it. Number three, 
big principle here. I think there is great power in prayer. Now, we can't intercede for people like Jesus does, okay? Jesus is standing at the throne of God right now, interceding. He's the anchor that held within the veil. Okay, but, but I think there's an example here with Moses that goes on to the Apostle Paul and others of how to intercede. And I think it goes like this. First of all, it should be our first response. Again, in verse 10, God, God says, let me alone. I, that, that has to mean Moses was already coming. He was already coming. His, his first response to the hearing of, of Israel's idolatry was prayer. It was first. Oh, that that would be our first response to our children's sin or our spouse's sin or our friend's sin or our small group member's sin. If our first response, every time we, we, we see something terrible happening in somebody's life, our first response ought to be prayer. And, and like Moses, we should pray as if it is life and death, as if it is heaven and hell, as if that is what is dependent upon the intercession to Jesus. What's that look like? I, I want to show you this in Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9, Moses is retelling the story and, and, and here's the way he describes it. He said in verse 18, I lay prostrate before the Lord as before 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Man, I am so struck with this. I, I am so struck with this reality. Do I care enough about anybody's eternity to pray like that? Do you care enough about your children to pray like that? Do you care enough about your wife, about your husband, about your friend? Do you care enough about anybody to pray like that? You know, as you answer that question, answer, do you pray four minutes for anybody? Moses was prostrate 40 days and 40 nights, not eating or drinking, interceding for the sin of Israel. I think second of all, this kind of prayer is persevering. It's relentless. I think that scene in God's statement, let me alone, you know? Whenever your kid is relentless about a snack, that's what you're, hey, hey, leave me alone about this. Like, stop asking this. I think Moses was persevering. Why was he persevering? I mean, I can answer that, I think. Why was he, why was he this relentless? You know why? Because he knew the character of God. We're gonna see that in Exodus 33, but Moses knows there is an ocean of steadfast love in God. There is a universe of mercy. There is an Everest of compassion in the heart of God. And so he comes again and again. He's like Jacob wrestling with God. He will not let go until he gets the blessing. He's like the persistent widow that Jesus spoke about who will not keep coming until she gets justice. And Moses is relentless in coming to God on behalf of Israel. Next, Moses knew how to pray. All right, here's, here's a great model of prayer. Are you ready? Moses prays the spiritual realities. Notice verse 11. Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? See, Moses switches it. He says, God, I'm, I'm coming because these are your people. I'm coming because you've rescued them. I'm coming because you brought them out of Egypt. I'm coming because 
the plagues in Egypt, you did that. You pulled them out. You delivered them, God. You're the one that saved them. God, you're the one. The, you're the one that chose them. God, you're the one. He, he pleads the spiritual reality. You should plead spiritual realities. When you pray, you should pray the things that are true in the scriptures about you and about others. Next, and I love this, and by the way, anytime you find anybody that is a mighty in prayer in the Bible, they have this characteristic, okay? The one that's in verse 12. Daniel has it, Nehemiah has it, Moses has it. Are you ready? He pleads for the glory of God. Notice, notice verse 12. He says in verse 12, why should the Egyptians say? Why should they say? You know what he's pleading before God? He's saying, God, if, if you wipe Israel off the, the face of the earth, you know what those Egyptians are going to say? You know what's going to be the talk in the coffee shops in Egypt? You know what's going to be the laughing and the mocking? They're, they're going to say you're not strong enough. God, they're going to say you weren't powerful enough. They're going to say you're fickle. They're going to say your love wasn't enough. They're going to they're they're laugh at the name of the, the God of the universe. And that burns Moses up. Man, some of you care, you care deeply about what people say about you. If you knew at this moment that somebody was tearing down your character, saying something about you, you'd, you'd be furious. You, you could not listen to the sermon, you could not sing, you, you couldn't do anything, it would just consume you, right? There's mamas in here. There's mamas in here that if they overheard somebody talking about their children saying, they're a zero, they're a nobody, there would be mamas who would come out with teeth and nails and knives and nine millimeters, right? They would be literally, maybe they wouldn't kill, but they would be angry enough to kill over that. Because you have blemished the name of my boy. Let me ask you, how deeply do you care about Jesus' name? Man, the great people in the Bible, this is, what, this is what drove them. This is what moved them to the nations. This is what moved them to the battlefield. Remember David, shepherd boy? What, what brings him out toe-to-toe -to -toe with Goliath? You know what it is? zeal for God's name. It burns him up that God is being dishonored. 1 Samuel 17, let me read you the story. Let's, we'll start in verse 26. And David said to me, said to the men who stood by, what should be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We've gone this far. We might as well read the battle scene, all right? Let's, let's start in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know, here it is, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. What drove David? 
this zeal for God's name. What, what drives people from congregations like ours to the nations to give up everything, to go to a people who don't want them to be there, to tell them the good news of the God? What drives them? Zeal for God's name. Moses has that. He is ablaze. God, what will Egypt think? God, I will not cop, stop coming to you because what will Egypt say? Finally, Moses knows how to pray God's promises. Moses knows how to pray God's promises. All right, man, everywhere we find great prayers in the Bible, we find people that, that know how to do this. Look at, look at verse 13. Moses says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Moses doesn't come to God with his own agenda. All right, let's talk about the wrong way to pray. The wrong way to pray is to come to God with your agenda. God, this is what I want to happen. This would make me really comfortable. God, this would, would really you know, speak well of me. This would, this would magnify my name. This would give me a lot of pleasure. God, I, I want you to do these things. This, this is what I want. God, let me bring you my will. Let me bring you my list. That's just not the way to pray. The way to pray is to get God's list, to, to plead his own agenda. Moses is operating off what God has said he is doing in the world. Moses' prayer is not trying to bring God over to his personal agenda, Moses is praying what God said he would do. Man, guys, use your Bible as your prayer guide. Grab a promise and pray it, plead it. God will honor his word. The word of the Lord will not fail. God has promised the gospel would go to every tongue, tribe, and nation, so pray that. God has promised that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just as believers to forgive us our sin. Plead that. God has promised that we would have power from the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. God has promised that he is turning the light momentary affliction of this life, these hard times, into an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Pray that. God has promised that. Whoever has left houses or father or mother, sister, brother, son, or daughter, for Christ's sake will receive a hundredfold in this life, eternal life to come. God has promised he would never leave us or forsake us. God has promised that he is working all things together, all hard things, all difficult things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God has promised not to allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation to provide the way of escape. He has promised a thousand other things, Grab them and pray them and plead them and don't let go until you see them happen. That's what Moses did. I want to close with the question that Moses asks as he comes into the camp. He comes into the camp and in verse 29, I believe it is, it says, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Man, what a great question. What a great question for this morning. Who is on the Lord's side? Now, what does he mean by that? Does he expect the dudes dancing around the calf who've said, you know what, this, this, we, we prefer the calf. Man, it's gold, it's shiny. Uh, we kind of make the rules up ourselves. you know? We, we, get to, we get to write our own Bible. A lot of people in America are doing that. 
I'm going to cross out that. Don't like that. Let's, let's change it to this. Man, we, we like that. Is that who's on the Lord's side? No. He, he's asking, who has not submitted? Who's not yielded to that? And so I would ask the same question this morning. Who's on the Lord's side? Next phrase. Come to me. Come to me. And then he pulls him into the mission. This particular mission was to stamp out the idolatry in Israel so that they would not be wiped out. And these guys make a great sacrifice. 3,000 are executed for idolatry. God brings a plague on the people. Why? Because God's wrath will come upon the idolater. Who's on the Lord's side? And I, I just want to press you. Are you interceding? Man, I, I just, I can't believe we have this gift from God that we can come to him. We are held by Jesus' intercession and he has taught us to be intercessors. Maybe 40 days and 40 nights is, that, that's a, man, that's a, I've never done that. I know guys who have. But, but I would just ask you, are you pleading for your family? Let, let's, just, let's just scrap all the excuses, shall we? Let's not be like Aaron. Well, you know, I, I, I put it in a fire and it just keeps popping out. God, and I don't have whatever. Let, let's, let's take God seriously. Will you intercede for your children? Will you intercede for your spouse? Will you come to God taking his promises, what he said he's going to do, what he said he wants to do, and will you just keep coming with that? And will you be a part of that? I hope so this morning. Let's, let's ask him to help us. Lord Jesus, we need your help. God, when, when we leave this place, God, we're bombarded with pressures and the world and distractions, and God, we're a stiff-necked people. Uh, we don't easily yield. We don't easily turn. God, we don't want you to, God, we don't want you to break us. But God, I'm asking you to do just that. I'm asking you, God, to break us out of idolatry, break us out of treasuring other things more than you, break us out of prayerlessness, God. God, move us. Move us to be your people. God, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that... He has interceded for us and he has paid the price for our sins and he has risen from the dead and he always lives seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. Thank you, God. Praise you. God, that's our only hope. Father, make us into your people. God, root the sin out of our life this morning. Thank you for your promise that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us. God, we hold on to that promise this morning. God, I pray that across this auditorium there's sin being confessed and, and there's promises being grabbed onto. Father, do that this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand please and let's sing together.
altered schedule, or I actually don't know how many it will be, but this week is an altered schedule, uh, meaning that we don't have our traditional Sunday school with all the kids' classes and everything, um, but what we are offering is a class in here, and uh, I believe there's, I, I'm not sure exactly what's happening. I think there's uh, two, three guys that are going to share basically kind of the most meaningful thing, most helpful thing in their Christian life, like like what's been the thing that helped them, you know, propel toward Christ uh, most. I think that's what's happening in this room. Um, and so if you would like to stay for that, that'll be here. I think there's coffee and donuts, things like that in the fellowship hall. If you want to grab that, come back, uh, that, that'd be great. Um, watch our text alerts. Um, Wednesdays, Sundays, we'll try to let you know when things are coming back, what, what things are coming back. We are having children's small group at the Lincoln campus tonight. So if your group is meeting, if you're going to your group and you want to uh, drop your kids off, we're going to be going through the life of David. Uh, so that is happening tonight. I can tell you that. You need to check with your small group to, to see if they're meeting or not. Some are meeting, some aren't. I think that's uh, all I need to tell you. You're dismissed. <laughs>